0: Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so good to have you here tonight, and, and we've been joking about it, but um, it's snowing. That means it's Wednesday. So, praise the Lord, and I'm so glad that you chose to brave it, and I'm also glad that it's not that bad out. So, praise the Lord. This morning, I looked out from home in Johnstown. There's just a few little tiny, tiny microscopic flakes about that same time in Loveland. My folks are, my mom has great big flakes over there, and so I'm glad I live in Loveland. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 30 tonight. Amber just gave me our flyers. They came in. The he is risen flyers. We're going to be passing these out in parts of Loveland in preparation for the Resurrection Sunday. And then we're going to have larger mailers that are going to cover all of Johnstown with mailers this, uh, for this uh, Resurrection Sunday. And so be praying about that. We're excited to have the opportunity to pass these out. So I hope that your schedule will permit Uh, going out with us, passing those out. Let's read a verse or two. We'll pray, and then we'll get into the lesson. Isaiah 30, beginning verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth, to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you, Lord, for your your heart that is so full of love. Lord, I am amazed in this study, as we'll get into tonight, how long-suffering you are. So help us to explore that tonight. And Lord, help us to have our, our hearts and minds enlarged as to how great a God we serve. We love you. Lead us and guide us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me begin with a question for you just to get you thinking. More than likely, today was not unlike other days and that you had some cares, concerns, worries, pressures. Kind of like you did yesterday. And the day before that, and the day before that, you had concerns, things that could go wrong. Some things did go wrong. Some things may go wrong. Perhaps, perhaps a car issue, and you know that this is gonna cost you a fortune, or a refrigerator going bad, or perhaps you're waiting for that phone call from the doctor, and you're just expecting some bad news. Perhaps there is an offense between you and a brother or sister in Christ, and and it's just a cloud over you. Of all the concerns that we have in our lives, how many of those does God want you to bring to Him? Doesn't the Scripture say something to the effect of casting all your care? I get so wearied by people saying, well, we're not supposed to talk to God about that. We're not supposed to take these concerns to God. We're not supposed to pray about these things. But my Bible says we're supposed to cast all of our cares. Now, perhaps what they're saying is we shouldn't be, we should be carefree. We shouldn't have cares. And that's like saying we shouldn't be human because all humans have cares. Well, I bring that up as a foundational question for tonight's study because God was reprimanding Judah God said I want you to bring all your cares to me all your concerns to me all the things that are going wrong in your life or could go wrong all the potential disasters bring them to me instead Judah came up with her own plan and that's what we're going to discuss tonight if you're taking notes Romans number one is Judah refused God's counsel verse number one row to the rebellious children saith the Lord that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Well, being that we're discussing Judah, we can only imagine who this rebellious children refers to. It's, it's most definitely Judah. God here condemned them for taking counsel from other sources, but not him. little phrase that says, that cover with a covering. is interesting because you translate these words out and they, they have a suggestion of, of, a, of, of a metal covering here. And I think what he's been talked about is, is you, you, they could take and make a wooden image, and then they would cover that image with, with silver, with, with molten hot metal. And then they would worship that. And so that cover with a covering could very uh, rightly be translated, that pour out a metal image, referring to their idolatry. They had forsaken God and the working of His Spirit, and were now adding new sins upon their old. They had a past of idolatry. Now they're adding new sins to the old ones. In Hosea 3, 13, verse 2, And now they sin more and more, and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding, all of it the work of craftsmen. They say of them, Let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves, and of course the calves were the the molten uh, metal uh, calves they had made. The New Testament, Romans 2, 5, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Letter A, Judah planned to run to Egypt for help, not God. Verse 2, that walk to go down into Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Just a reminder, the the book of Isaiah is one where God is giving to him a judgment, a prophecy of judgment against the people of Judah. And that judgment immediately was going to be the nation of Assyria, and Assyria was on on the march toward them, they'd already routed Israel the northern kingdom and brought destruction there and they were continuing their journey to Jerusalem and so Isaiah is warning of what's going to happen in light of the impending Assyrian invasion Judah decided to seek the help of the Egyptians Judah decided to he, to, to ask the help not of God but of the Egyptians they were willing to put their trust in Pharaoh but not God in chapter 31 Verse 1, Isaiah, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Number one, Egypt would become Judah's shame. Verse 3, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. God had told his people that by putting their trust in Egypt, they would end in shame and confusion. The people who went for help would cause them to regret their decision. In Jeremiah 17, 5 and following, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabited. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Number two, Judah had already sent messengers to Egypt. Verse four, for his princes were at Zoan and his ambassadors came to Hanes. Apparently, Judah had already sent emissaries to these two cities. In Egypt to ask for Pharaoh's help these two cities were the places the Pharaohs typically resided either they were in this city or in this city in Zoon or in Hanes and so Judah sent messengers to both cities to try to find Pharaoh number three instead of receiving help Judah would leave Egypt shamed verse 5 they were all ashamed of a people that could not profit them nor be in help nor profit, but a shame and also a reproach. Instead of receiving help from Egypt, they would leave shamed and reproached. Egypt had flatly refused to help, either because they recognized their limitations compared to the massive Assyrian army, or they had no desire to help Judah. In either case, Judah was greatly embarrassed. The prophet Hosea 7, verse 11 writes, Ephraim also was like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Number four. Judah sent great riches to try and enlist Egypt. Verse six. The burden of the beasts of the south into the land of trouble and anguish. From whence come the young and old lion, the viper and fiery flying serpent. They will carry their riches upon the shoulders of young asses and their treasures upon the bunches of camels to a people that shall not profit them if you take it and really slow it down one phrase upon another you kind of get a gist of what's going on the beasts of the south and of course we're talking about the southern kingdom the northern kingdom of israel has already been destroyed by assyria now the judgment is coming toward the southern kingdom well the burden of the beasts of the south these are beasts or animals from the south So here's a description of this caravan of riches coming out of Judah, heaped high on the backs of camels on their way to Egypt. Judah is sending a huge uh, store of wealth to Egypt to bribe them, to buy them, to be a help to them. They would go into the land of trouble and anguish. This very aptly described the desert region between Judah and Egypt. A rough animal infested region known for its dangers the region must have had its share of attacks by lions giving it an ominous reputation there were areas in that route where poisonous snakes were common (laughs) some of a variety that would drop from trees overhead I read about this there were actually snakes they say that would be in trees and I know down south where my kids uh, lived my uh, the father of my son-in-law shows me pictures of some of the places he goes in the swamps. He says, you've got to be careful because these water moccasins, massive water moccasins, will be in the trees and they'll drop down into your boat. So you've got to always keep an eye on it. Well, these snakes don't drop down. These snakes dart out of trees. This, they call them flying serpents. And so these are spooky, spooky serpents. But here, here we see flying, fiery serpents. Well, now, fiery serpents, doesn't that make us reminiscent of another time in Israel's history? Fiery serpents? Sure, where they had provoked God so much by their complaining. He sent fiery serpents among their poisonous snakes, and they got bit by them. And God says, "Take Moses, take and uh, and make a brass serpent and attach it to the end of a pole. And then take that pole and lift it high. And he says, anyone who looks to that serpent will be healed from their poisonous snake. And, of course, that's a beautiful picture of salvation, looking to the Son of God for salvation. In Numbers 21, 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed, and, of course, that's what God told him to do. Make the serpent and have people look to the serpent for salvation. Number five. Egypt would fail to be any help to Judah. This is a pretty costly mistake for Judah to put all their confidence in Egypt. They sent this caravan of riches to Egypt, of which Egypt gladly took. Camels loaded high with wealth to try to buy their their support. Verse number 7, For the Egyptians shall help in vain. And to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Notice their strength. Egypt's strength. Is to sit still. That's their strength. It suggested the Egyptians would make some commitment to help. But would fail to follow through on it. Isaiah cried to his people that Egypt would fail to help them. Egypt displayed great strength. In sitting still. And not helping. Psalm 118 8 and 9 it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes Number six Isaiah was to record Judah's foolishness verse 8 This is God talking to Isaiah. He says now go Write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever God said, I want you, Isaiah, to record this foolishness. I want you to record it. Put it on a table, or we might say a tablet. What I think is being suggested here is God told Isaiah to take and take a, a, a plaque, if you will, and write out their foolishness. Instead of coming to God, they went to Egypt. Write out their foolishness. Now, in this... In this, it is, it is uh, it suggested that there was a, a means of making it stand out to make public. This sign was then apparently embossed with wax to make the words stand out. And then the sign was hung in a public place like the temple so the people could easily read it. So here's this indictment against them. Put on a sign for all to see and it's hung in a public place. This indictment, Judah went to Egypt instead of to God, and they publicly hung it up as a sign, and God said to Isaiah, I want you also to write it in a book so that it will last for posterity's sake forever. (laughs) How would you like your foolishness to be emblazoned on a sign in a public place for all to see and then written down in a book to last for posterity's sake. That's what God did for Egypt. Letter B. God pronounced his indictment against Judah. Number nine, or Verse number 9. That this is a rebellious people. Lying children. Children that will not hear the law of the Lord. God's assessment of his children was a stinging indictment. He said they had been rebellious against him lying to themselves and to him, and they refused to pay attention to his laws. They had ignored his word. Ever notice how frequently some of these horrible, horrible um, stories of Israel or Judah, and the wickedness of God's people, and how carnal they got, and fleshly they got, and some of the horrible things, and... In fact, they ignored God's word. The fact they did not run to God for counsel, but ran to some other scheme. You ever noticed how when you stop and think about it, it often reflects our own decisions? Zechariah 7, verse 11 and 12, But they refused to hearken, and pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea they made their hearts as an adamant stone lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in his spirit by the former prophets therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts it says they stopped their ears they pulled away their shoulder they did this hmm. Hmm. and they stopped their ears i can't hear you not juvenile stop their ears i'm not listening Who does that? Well, immature children. Which maybe is why God called them the children of Israel. (laughs) His children. Number one, the people resisted the prophets. Verse 10 which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things prophesy deceits you catch what they're saying Judah to the prophets are saying now now don't don't give us those hard prophecies don't give us that we want to hear smooth messages we want to hear really nice messages we want to hear how good we are in fact prophesy deceits (laughs) prophesy lies God said his people were slighting his prophets instead of desiring to hear God's message The people told the prophets to stop giving them their harsh words against sin, imploring them to repent and get right with God. Instead, they wanted to hear smooth things, ear-tickling sermons, making them feel good. They even told the prophets to stretch the truth and lie. Number two, Judah charged the prophets to leave them alone. Verse 11, to the prophets they said, Get you out of the way and turn aside out of the path caused the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Judah demanded the prophets to stop with their accusing messages and tone. They wanted nothing to do with the Holy One of Israel. The people had grown hostile towards God's holiness. They had grown impatient, having their sins constantly thrown in their faces by God's mouthpieces, the prophets. Isn't it interesting? That aspect of God that really bothered them. Here he's called the Holy One of Israel. It was God's holiness that affected them. The fact that God was so rigid and strict in his standards. The fact that God had rules to follow. Romans 1.28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. They're at odds, they're enemies. For it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Letter C, God sent a message of condemnation. Verse 12, wherefore, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon, and there's more following, God sent Judah a message. He identified himself as the very God they had disdained, the Holy One of Israel. He told them that because they had grown to loathe his word, instead had chosen to put their trust in bribing their Egyptian neighbors, he would send judgment as was to follow. Number one, Judah was about to break apart like a damaged wall. Here's quite a picture. Verse 13, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. Now, the picture is a wall. Perhaps, in my mind, I see this, uh, this house that was built on a hill. And in preparation for the hill, they leveled it out so the house could be flat. There could be some yard up here. But what that meant is they had to landscape it a real sharp hill. Well, now the ground doesn't stay there on its, on its own, so they have to put a wall, there, a retaining wall, well, one day you get a real bad drenching downpour and all of a sudden water starts coming through the brick there and it starts washing away. And before you know it, there's a breach in that wall. If that water gets bad enough, that wall is going to begin to bow out. And then if it gets bad enough, it's going to break there. And just like a dam that gets a breach and it begins to bow and break, that's what God's describing here. God's describing Judah. They're about to break apart like a damaged wall. Number two, God would bring devastating judgment upon Judah. Verse 14, and he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel, or as a piece of pottery that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare, so that there shall not be found in the b- bursting of it assured to take fire from the hearth, or to take water withal out of the pit. God would bring destruction to the wall of Judah so complete. He likened it to the breaking of a vessel of pottery broken in pieces. God said he would not spare or hold back. There would not be left standing any part of the wall big enough to be of any value. Number three, Judah had refused God's gracious offer for help. Verse 15, For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, there you go, third time. In returning and rest shall ye be saved, and quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And ye would not. God reminded Judah of his mercies and gracious provisions. He gave them so much time and opportunity to come back to him to plead for his protection against the Assyrian invasion. Had they done so, God would have blessed them and saved them, he says giving them rest. His desire for his people was quietness and confidence. But sadly, they refused his offer and sought help from other areas. Number four, Judah's plan to escape on horseback would be defeated. God says, just call upon me. Cast all your care upon me. And Judah finds every way possible not to call on God. Verse 16, but he said no. No, I will not go to you, God, for we will flee upon horses. Therefore shall ye flee, God says. And they said, him, we will ride upon the swift. And God says, therefore shall they that pursue you be swift. In other words, Judas says, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get on horses and we're gonna run away from them. And God says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make Assyrian horses faster than your horses. They'll be defeated. God shows some real irony here. Number five, Judah would flee before the Assyrians and be defeated. Verse 17, 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall ye flee. Till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of a mountain and as an ensign on a hill. I think I asked you before, what's an ensign in the Bible? An ensign, a flag. An ensign in the Bible is a flag. All right. With that in mind, he says, Until you be like an ensign on a hill, all the troops are gone. All that's left is a flag. The troops are all dead. There's simply a flag waving in the breeze. Notice this is 1,000 shall flee at the rebuke of one. 1,000 people of Judah shall flee at the rebuke of one Assyrian. And at the rebuke of five Assyrians, shall ye, all of you, flee, is what he's saying. God said a small military force of the enemy would utterly rout Judah in its futile attempts at defense. So destructive will Assyria's attack be that there would be only left a small contingency of Judah's army. Like an ensign or a lonely flag on a hilltop. It's interesting, Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 8 and 9 says, Ye have feared the sword, and I will bring a sword upon you, saith the Lord. I will bring you out of the midst thereof, and deliver you into the hands of strangers, and will execute judgments upon you. Roman numeral 2, God reminds Judah of his merciful nature. Once again, this is mind-blowing. Here God is revealing to Isaiah what... What's going to happen to his people? And Isaiah is to deliver this message a message of judgment. You are so wicked that I'm going to raise up this heathen nation to come and bring destruction and destroy you. Verse after verse after verse, verse describing Judah's wickedness and describing the oncoming judgment. And then God does something like this verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait. That he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted, that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment. Blessed are all they that wait for him. Here in the midst of this horrible message of judgment, God says, I want to remind you that I'm a merciful God. I'm a merciful God. God is a God of justice and judgment but that judgment and justice are balanced by His mercy. We see the beautiful mercy of God shining through to His people. In the midst of this dire warning of judgment, the Lord pauses to remind them that it's not too late. It's not too late to call out to Him. He's still there for them in spite of their insolence and rebellion. They would find the blessing for which they looked elsewhere. Letter A Amazingly, God would still hear the cry of his people. Verse 19, for the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. Thou shalt weep no more. He will be very gracious unto thee at the voice of thy cry. When he shall hear it, he will answer thee. God told them that if they would but cry out to him, he would hear and answer them. They would experience the safety for which they longed, and they would weep no more. He'd be very gracious to them. Little snapshot of this is seen and one of the great kings of Judah was Hezekiah Hezekiah saw the oncoming army of Assyria and Hezekiah cried out to God Now Hezekiah was a king that followed a wicked king the people of Judah were wicked they were idolatrous and God miraculously and mercifully raised up a Hezekiah to, to rule them Hezekiah tried his best to bring a great revival among the people And though there was much compliance on the outside, the hearts of the people were still wicked. Hezekiah prayed a prayer. In 2 Kings 19, beginning of verse 15, he says, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib of Assyria which hath sent him to reproach the living God of a truth Lord the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire for they were no gods but the work of men's hands wood and stone therefore they have destroyed them now therefore O Lord our God I beseech thee save thou us out of his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. In the midst of God's judgment, in the midst of this message of doom, God shows up with this merciful offering, and Hezekiah took him up on the offer. Letter B, Judah will listen to its prophets once again. Verse 20, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, Yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner any more, but thine eyes shall see thy teachers. God told you to hear that he would chasten them for their sin. He was still going to spank them for their sin. He would use the Assyrians to chastise them, giving them the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, meaning they would subsist on bread and water for a while in captivity. However, the prophets, the teachers that they had pushed away would once again be summoned to hear the word of the Lord. I love this in Psalm 30 and verse 5 For his anger endureth but a moment, in his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Let her see, God would lead his people once again. Verse 21 And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee, saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When ye turn to the right hand, and when ye turn to the left. The picture here, I believe, is once again them listening to the voice of the Lord. Listening to God's voice, saying, okay, turn right here, okay, turn left here. They're showing that they are listening once again. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Letter D, idolatry will finally come to an end. It's a beautiful verse, verse 22. Ye shall defile also the covering of thy graven images of silver. There's that same word, covering. And the ornament of thy molten images of gold. Thou shalt cast them away as a menstruous cloth. Thou shalt say unto it, get thee hence. Finally, Judah would come to understand that these idols were worthless. They had not protected them. They would take those idols and cast them away as vile. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 20 reads In that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship, to the moles and to the bats. They'd cast them away. Letter E God will restore his blessings upon Judah. Verse 23, Then shall he give the rain of thy seed, that thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. Judah's cleansing and submission to the Lord will enable him to bless them once again. He'll give them rain for their crops and plenteous food to eat. During the reigns of good kings like Hezekiah, and then like young Josiah, There was limited restoration of God's blessing. However, its ultimate fulfillment of the blessing of the Lord will happen during the millennium. Letter F, even the animals will eat well. (laughs) Even the animals, verse 24, the oxen likewise and the young asses that ear the ground shall eat clean provender, which hath been winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. I'll take some searching here to figure these words out, but in God's restored day of blessing, the animals that are used to ear the ground, means to till the ground. Earing the ground is tilling the ground. We see this in, um, in Deuteronomy 21, verse 4, And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer unto a rough valley, Describing the valley, that valley is neither eared nor sown. is neither tilled nor sown. And shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. This, um, this, this, this uh, clean provender, or this clean food, they'll feed the animals. And they'll give them clean provender. Now it goes on to describe this food as being winnowed with the shovel and with the fan. Now, if you think about it, that's what they would do, the grain. They would take that, and they would, they would, uh, they would beat it, and then they would throw it up in the air with this big shovel, have the wind catch it, and the wind would blow away the chaff, leaving just the grain. They would take that, and then they would make flour out of that. But we're not talking about people. Normally, they would feed the animals just the grain. They would take the grain and just dump it out. But now they're saying the grain is so plenteous, that they would even take the winnowed grain, the prepared for flour grain, and feed the animals. That's what it's going to be like, and all the animals will be happy. Letter G, abundant rain, and Judah's enemies slaughtered. Verse 25, there shall be upon every high mountain and upon every high hill rivers and streams of waters in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. This is describing a day of abundance of rain, creating lush vegetation on every high mountain, every high hill. The day of the great slaughter may at least partially refer to Assyria's army destroyed. It looks beyond, however, to the enemies of Christ in the tribulation. The towers falling would represent fortresses falling before the Lord and His army. Um we're pleased because this year, yesterday, I read that the mountains, at least at least one of the ranges, was at 133% of their snowpack. That sound about right? Okay, That's a good thing. Because that means all that snow up in the high mountains, when that melts, it will benefit all those at the base of the mountains as the water comes down. God is saying at this time, There will be so much rain, so much snow, and the high peaks that it will water everything below it. It will be a time of great blessing. Letter H, the Lord will heal his people in that day. Verse 26, Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun shall be sevenfold, as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. So in that day, Under the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus of course this is looking to the time in the future a time where the Lord rules and reigns in the Millennium even the lights of the heavens will shine brighter allegorically truth will shine brightly lighting the earth with the knowledge of the Holy One the Lord in that day will heal the breach and wound of his people they had sinned creating a breach in their relationship The Lord will bind up that in His forgiveness. Their sins had been judged, leaving a wound. He would also heal their wounds in His abundant mercy. Letter I, God's judgment against His enemies. Verse 27, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from far, burning with His anger, and the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and His tongue as a devouring fire. Judgment is once again the theme. However, it's not directed at God's people any longer. It's against his enemies. A devouring fire. This was fulfilled in the immediate context against the 185,000 Assyrians. Remember, they came and they, 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 uh, they, they, they laid a camp around, around the Jerusalem there, and the morning went out, and, and um, 185,000 of them were dead. Incredibly. I misspoke last week. Mixed up two stories saying the lepers went out well they went out a different time when the syrians were out there not the assyrians so thanks for correcting that its ultimate fulfillment will happen in the tribulation against the antichrist and his forces where he will judge his enemies in nahum 1 5 and 6 the mountains quake at him and the hills melt the earth is burned at his presence yea the world and all that dwell therein Who can stand before his indignation? Who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Letter J. God will bring destruction to his enemies, verse 28, and his breath as an overflowing stream shall reach to the midst of the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of vanity. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err as he did with the 185,000 destroying them immediately so will he do even greater at the battle of Armageddon the picture is somewhat or someone in a stream up to their neck trying to hang on they're trying to survive that's the picture here those nations who come against God they will find they will have to try to survive but they will fail The Lord will cause His enemies to fail in their attempts, like a horse being pulled to the side with a bridle. Letter K. Judah will joyfully praise the Lord in song. Verse 29. Ye shall have a song, as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept, and gladness of heart, as when one goeth with a pipe or a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. What's being described here is the is the excitement and joy of a holy day. One of their feasts, a Jewish holy day. Feasts would begin the evening before and were accompanied with songs of praise and with psalms. The jubilant scene would likely have happened after the destruction of the 105,000 Assyrians. It will also take place when the Lord returns. Letter L. God's wrath will be revealed against His enemies. Verse 30, And the Lord shall cause His glorious voice to be heard, and shall show the lightning down of His arm, with the indignation of His anger, and with the flame of a devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. Though there may have been some of these events at the destruction of the Assyrian army, likely this describes God's judgment during the tribulation. Christ, Will return in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, who obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians 1:8. Lastly, Roman number 3, God reassured them that He would destroy Assyria. Now remember, this is all being precip- precipitated by Assyria's march toward them, and they get fearful instead of turning to God they run to Egypt and now this full circle verse 31 for through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down which smote with a rod the view comes back to their immediate threat the Assyrian invasion God declares he will beat them down though they had smitten God's people with a rod He will thoroughly beat them down. They had destroyed the northern kingdom, but God was going to destroy them, which He did. 2 Kings 19.35. Letter A, God would beat Assyria with their own pride. Verse 32, and in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon Him, it shall be with tabrets and harps, and in battles of shaking will He fight with it well first of all what's a grounded staff well this suggests a flagpole being stuck in the ground representing ground being taken by a conquering king he took the ground there's a flag now representing his ground the Lord would allow Assyria to advance in all their glory singing and carrying on as if they were headed to an easy victory against Judah God would however Take their grounded staff and beat them with it. He would would destroy them with their grounded staff or beat them with their own pride. In Isaiah 2 and verse 19, And they shall go into the holes of the rocks, into the caves of the earth, for fear of the Lord and for the glory of His majesty when He ariseth to shake terribly the earth. Letter B. God would destroy Assyria As fire from his mouth. Verse 33 For Tophet is ordained of old. Yea, for the king it is prepared. He hath made it deep and large. The pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, doth kindle it. Tophet is another name for the valley of Hinnom. It's located just outside the walls of the old city of Jerusalem. This was the location where the inhabitants of Jerusalem would burn their garbage. So fire was burning there most of the time. God described His judgment against Assyria like being burned by the breath of God. Such a description aptly describes how Jesus will destroy the wicked at the battle of Armageddon. Isaiah 11, 4, But with righteousness shall He judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and He shall smite the earth." With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall they slay the wicked. So once again tonight we have seen this amazing dichotomy of God's nature. On the one hand, he is this God of judgment. He tells Isaiah, you tell the people, Judah, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to stir up the Assyrians and they're going to bring destruction and judgment upon you you for your wickedness, your idolatry. Another place, he calls them drunks, the drunkenness. And then, about the time it gets so depressive, God rolls back the curtains and says, let me just take a moment and just show you my mercy. I'm still a merciful God. I'm still there for you if you'll just call out to me. I wonder wonder how many times we fail to call out to God. We fail to call out to him because we have abused him so long and ignored him so long and go on our own schemes and our own solutions to our worries and problems that we're too embarrassed to go to him. God is a merciful God, always there, waiting for you. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your blessing, and thank you for the book of Isaiah. I thank you for this journey that we've been on, and I thank you for these revelations that you give to us of your mercy. Thank you for being merciful to us. Bless, I pray. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.